You're listening to What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check out all our shows at greenlitpodcast.com. Content warning. Suicide, insanity, social Darwinism, terrorism, rape, anti-Romani slurs, anti-Catholicism, and of course, there will be blood. Action! Excitement! Horror! Mad! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. here now, like an old hermit in the house of my ancestors. I live in hoary memories, but I also observe what happens in the outside world, hearing merely an echo of it, here in this deserted corner of the earth. You might find it surprising that, although my hair is white, my heart is young, and it wants to take part in life outside these castle walls where the destinies of the nations are forged and the wars of this world are fought. I once played a role in this game and pulled quite a few of the strings. To rule, my young friend. To rule. That is the only thing worth living for. Whether it be over people's wills or their hearts. Dracula. From Powers of Darkness by Bram Stoker and or Valdemir Asmundson. Welcome to our podcast, Enter Freely and of Your Own Will. This is What Mad Universe, the show that looks at pulp and the origins of pop culture. I'm Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello. Uh, Today we're looking at Dracula in a roundabout way. We read the English translation of the Icelandic translation of Bram Stoker's famous novel. Why? Because it's, uh, it's essentially an entirely different book. Uh, Macht Mirkana, or Powers of Darkness, 1901, isn't merely a translation. It's almost a complete rewrite of the text, a fact that wasn't discovered until relatively recently in 2014, or just prior to that. That's when the uh, English translation came out. Uh, prior to that, uh, the book was noted, was, uh, noted by Dracula scholars for its introduction by Stoker, but when they found out that the entire plot of the book itself was reworked, it opened up a whole new world and whole new mysteries. How did this happen? Was it translator uh, Valdemir Asmundsen, Stoker himself, or the earlier Swedish version that was responsible for this complete reworking? Well, so, uh, 
I'm interested yeah. to find out. <laughs> I hadn't heard about well, the Swedish it, version. That's a, that's a new yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was in the uh, the intro to the book, but uh, uh, apparently they did after after researching this discovered that there's this an earlier uh, serialized uh, Swedish version that made some of the similar changes, though not quite the whole thing. So um, it's a big, confusing mystery. Um, <clears throat> a lot of uh, the things that appear in the novel were uh, things that also appeared in Stoker's early notes for writing Dracula, right. uh, including um, a, uh, let's see, um, yeah, uh, the uh, uh, deaf and mute servant, female servant that Dracula has. Um, mm. That was in Dracula, uh, the original notes to Dracula. Um, yeah, a, a bunch of things like that. Uh, there was uh, Stoker was going to have a police detective named Cotford investigating the uh, all the doings, uh, and in this version, there's a police detective named uh, uh, Barrington and his assistant Tellet. Um, right. Yeah, there, there's also um, in the original notes, uh, Doctor Seward goes mad which doesn't happen in the original book, but does happen in this version. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, there, just a bunch of things like that, just like little details that didn't actually make it into regular Dracula, but are in this from Stoker's original notes. But there's also other confusing things, like Dracula is openly talks about sexual matters, and Stoker probably wouldn't have liked that since he was uh, right. uh, pretty publicly buttoned down. Um, he was very Victorian, you might say. Yeah, uh, and he was apparently for uh, various censorship laws and things that uh, this one to pass in England. That's that's wild to me that he was he was a writer who wrote a horror novel but was in favor of censorship laws. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually I don't know much about uh, Stoker personally. This is this information was from uh, the uh, the introduction to this book. Uh, I believe Stoker was. Uh, closeted gay his whole life. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's about all I know about him from, a, uh, you know, on a personal level. Um, right. The the, but, only, the the other thing he wrote, of course, was uh, Lair of the White Worm. Um, which that, I that haven't read, of. but I've read excerpts of, and it seems pretty terrible. Yeah, well, yes. It's not very well regarded. Yeah, I that's true. <laughs> but there's clearly it's just it is very interesting because of course famously, I mean, you're saying that this is a sexualized and it is. It's they 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 sort of ramp up the sexualization to a degree, but it's there in Dracula. Yeah, it's, just it's not... definitely there. It's just not as explicit and I think that's the thing you would have had a problem with. Right. It's very subtext. Possibly. I mean, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um it's it's pretty explicit in the uh, Icelandic version, and like I said, it's that's probably not, according to people who know Stoker better than I do, that's probably not something he would have cared for. So mm. he didn't necessarily write this version, but it's confusing who did. Because right. uh, also the the uh, translator um, Valdemir uh, Asmundsen uh, wasn't known as a writer in his own right. He was like a scholar of uh, Icelandic literature, and he like ancient like Icelandic texts and he did a lot of uh he did a lot of uh translations uh but he wasn't known as a novelist in his own right so it's probably unlikely that he rewrote it he's um uh primarily known as the guy who's married to his wife who was a famous uh, uh suffragette um women's rights activist at the time so he's sort of um 
in in Icelandic um, people looking at Icelandic culture, he's sort of like um, what's, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Not wife guy, but like he's the uh, um, he, he's Victorian Icelandic wife guy. Uh, he was <laughs> yeah okay yeah he was primarily known as the husband of this other famous person. And sorry, what did she do? What was the significant? She was her? a uh, women's rights activist. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, gotcha. Um, this is Valdemar Asmundson you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, th this is a very interesting book from yeah. from a lot of from sort of the mystery perspective, but also um, uh. Just like if you like Dracula uh, as a concept, this in many ways improves upon it, and in some ways um, it's lacking. So it's an interesting look at other another take on the same concept. Well, it's it's like you. So we're talking about how this may have been like Bram Stoker may have been a little more involved than just you know being the guy who wrote the original novel uh, because. It does read a lot like it might have been a first draft of Dracula. Yeah, definitely the 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 London section, which is a big part of the original novel. Yeah. Um, here it's it's uh, I believe one sixth of the whole book. Yeah. I mean it like, it is not and it's finished. Like yeah, it's, it's incomplete. It, it's clear. Yeah, it's clearly not finished. It's basically an outline. There's some quotations of characters talking, but for the most part, it's a summary of what happens. Right. Very, very, very abbreviated summary. Like I could, yeah. I was really surprised. It, it's you know, it's the the part where you get really into it. <laughs> you get really far down it. Once um, you get to the point where uh, Jonathan or Thomas Harker, as he's called in this version for some reason, yeah, all the names are are different, um, uh, or most of them are. Yeah, and and um, he he uh, after he's making his escape from the castle. Then it's part two, and suddenly it's this. First of all, it stops being epistolary, by which I mean. Dracula's epistolary novel, meaning it, it's a series of letters and clippings, and it's kind of made up of different uh, reports from the different characters and newspapers and so forth. Um, in this version, it's it's uh, Harker's novel uh, up until he escapes from Castle Dracula. Then suddenly it becomes omniscient narrator, which seems... Yeah, it, who says he gets, like the narrator says he, he got this from various... Uh, letters and journals and things, but mm. uh, he seems to have summarized it more than... Right. Um, like, uh, there's a part where, um, from uh, Dr. Seward's perspective, and it, and it, I mean, suppose, like, it's what Dr. Seward is doing, but it's written in the third person. Mm -hmm. But at the end of that chapter, it said, and this is where Dr. Seward's notes end. Right. Which is weird. Yeah, I, I it, again, it does very much read as a synopsis, like he had the synopsis of the story and he just slightly tweaked it to make it sound like an actual story being told. But it's really, it has big uh, Dave Lynch's, David Lynch's Dune energy where it, it works really heavily on the, the opening stuff and then suddenly fast forwards the, the, <laughs> the, the climactic stuff. Uh, yeah, I've always said uh, with, uh, with Dracula that its problems as a novel is, it's got some really evocative scenes, particularly in the Transylvanian stuff, but it sort of drops the ball a bit on, on towards the end, with um, where it becomes basically about train schedules and them trying to outrun Dracula. Yeah, you know, th getting to that's wild that there's so much about train. Even be even in the Transylvanian stuff, he does get hung up on the trains. Yeah. And tr like he has a whole bit where he complains about the train service out when as you go further east, it gets worse, and you know, like 
Stoker really liked trains, apparently. Yeah, I guess. Which actually, um, it's, well, that's not actually weird because that's been a thing in Britain. I mean, train spotting is actually not just a yeah. movie. It's a, it was a hobby like bird watching for British people. I guess British people got very bored at certain points in, in history. Uh, well, trains were right. I mean, when they were new, they didn't yeah. have them as right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for a long time in history. I mean, nobody did, but you know. Yeah. Well, it was no, no. It, you're right. It would have been. They would have been the. Yeah, writing about trains in 1890. What was when did Dracula come out? 1897. Uh, 97. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that would have been like writing about you know high tech rocket cars in today you know it would uh, be, or teslas or something i don't know yeah <laughs> well I, maybe not not quite that new i think they were around for for a bit yeah, but, yeah. um i exaggerate um, but yes they were the they were still the cool mode of transportation yeah. that, and there there is a lot of um uh, new technology in dracula the, the original novel um um with the um voice recording machines and typewriters and such <laughs> Typological write, writing machines, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that—that's a big thing that Mina's learning to use the typewriter, and uh, um, you know, that I—I I think that would have been a new thing at the time, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, fairly, fairly new. Um, yeah, that's—I'm not sure when the typewriter was invented, but certainly mid 19th century. So I guess uh, Stoker would have been a techie. <laughs> I guess. Well, you know, it's funny, and this is the original novel, not Powers of Darkness, because Van Helsing is barely in Powers of Darkness. He's like mentioned. Yeah. Uh, all, the the vampire well, he hunting. does stuff but like he's, yeah. Ver he doesn't have much of a character no yeah he's again everything that happens once you get to london is sort of summarized rather than told um, but you know of course there's a there's a, a vampire hunting squad uh, in dracula which is uh, you know seward jack seward uh, quincy morris the cowboy who is in dracula and uh, yeah <laughs> um uh, the cowboy Van who kills Helsing. dracula yeah well they Spoilers. all they all kind of do don't they I, I know but he's the one who puts the the Bowie knife in his chest. Right. Which is And uh in the original novel he gets killed. He, he survives in this one, in this version. Well, okay. Yeah, I I actually said so this is the thing I've I've read I haven't I didn't quite I I was reading Dracula as well to 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 compare and I know the story very well from all I'm very much a movie Dracula watcher. So I've seen a, a bunch of Dracula movies, but it's true that and it's funny because a lot um Quincy gets left out of a lot of adaptations. Um the, yep. The Seward, he's mo he's in some of them, but not. A he's Mina's father in the thirty-one version. Yeah. He's he's like he's obviously significant because he introduces Renfield, and he's kind of in the book. He's kind of the narrator for a patch, uh, like yep. because he's he's significant in that regard. Yeah. Renfield's not in Powers of Darkness. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. There's no Renfield. There's Jack Hawkins, who's sort of vaguely similar in some ways. Uh, that's uh, Harker's uh, boss. And he kills himself, if I'm not mistaken, right? In, in this version, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which I don't recall that happening in the original. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's why I'm saying he kind of there's that's that sort of people who've come in contact with Dracula go insane. Like that that's kind of yeah. hinted there, I think, but not developed very much, of course. Um, yeah. But Dracula makes a big thing out of my good friend Jack Hawkins, who I know very well. Jack Hawkins in London. Like he, and it, mm -hmm. it, it, when you find out he kills himself later, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, he had a malign influence on this guy, basically. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because uh, in uh, in Nosferatu, the um, the Hawkins character is merged with Renfield, right, and becomes uh, Knock in the in the trans in the uh, version that was released, right. Um, so um, that, that's interesting, and also in the um, uh, 
Renfield, of course, replaces um, uh, Jonathan Harker in a lot of versions at the beginning. Um, the one who meets Dracula at the beginning of the mo at the beginning of the story, um, right. and uh, including the thirty-one version, which was based on the play version from earlier. Right. Um, and uh, in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the uh, the uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie, they had it so um, Renfield was the previous lawyer for Dracula before right before uh, Jonathan Harker went. So that's why that explains why Renfield went insane and. <laughs> Psychic connection to Dracula. I actually think that's, and it sort of pays tribute to the, uh, to the uh, 1931 movie in in a subtle way. Yeah, I think I that was a really nice nice I, twist. Yeah, that I, movie I like, had some problems, but it had some good ideas in it. Yeah, I really like the idea of like Renfield. He's almost a cautionary tale for Harker, and it's kind of like, yes, this is what happens to people who <laughs> spend a lot of time dealing with Dracula, and it's kind of like he, you know, and it's so funny that the plot of Dracula is kicked into gear by like business deals and lawyers and paperwork yeah, basically yeah. <laughs> but the guy who does the paperwork yeah, there's goes a lot insane. of there's a lot of minutia this guy really cares about uh checking all the legal boxes for his right his his move to out which like it makes a certain sense but th but the thing is the thing that's what it actually really works because it's the sense of like well i'm going to hire you to be my employee to do all this boring paperwork and also i'm going to drive you insane or possibly turn you into a vampire or possibly feed you to my brides or you know like it's 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 yeah. it's, it's it's very much the uh nobility uh you know using the common folk as they see fit uh and yeah speaking of that's a uh theme that is expanded upon a lot in uh, powers of darkness mm -hmm. dracula's uh political aims right which are not really a thing in the original you can you can sort of uh infer some like he that he believes that he's as an aristocrat he's better than normal people right um but this really plays up the idea of dracula as a as we as i read off at the beginning um he's a guy who thinks he has the right to rule people like right. just a natural right because he's strong and and um, he, uh, there's there's various quotes where he, he just attacks or like insults peasants. Um, uh, <laughs> let's see, peasants are uh, are and always will be cowards. They are parasites, and while they ba will badger us whenever they can, they lack guts. Well, yeah, even in the original in the novel as it exists, the the Dracula he he spends a lot of time talking about those foolish, superstitious peasants, you know, who don't. Yeah, but it's me. it's not as explicitly a class thing. Right. It's sort of um, in this. Um, he talks. He um, uh, yes, um, yes, my friend. He said um, that is just more proof of what I always say: that the strongest must prevail and conquer the world. Mm. Those who are weak are only created to satisfy the needs of the other of others more powerful. The person who knows how to exert his strength will gain supremacy. And have everything at his command, beauty, prudence, and knowledge, in the same way that the small seedling growing in the graveyard will gradually become a tall tree uh, with the life force of a thousand generations, all contributing their strength, comeliness, and other good qualities. And uh, Parker inter uh, Parker's narration, as far as I could follow, it was Darwin's law fluttering vaguely through the Count's mind, but he had adapted it in his own way. Right. So that's explicitly social Darwinism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not. Uh, I mean, it's not actually doesn't necessarily follow from actual Darwin's thought, but no. It's, and it actually predates it, sort of. Well, this um, is unfortunately, you know, what people read into Darwin for the next few decades. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was, yeah, but the the idea sort of predated Darwin in a lot of ways. Mult 
Malthus. How do you pronounce his Ma- name? Malthus. Yeah. Malthus. Thank you. Um, Malthusianism is is basically the idea that there's an excess population, and we have to sort of call the right. herd, which Dracula would be in favor of. Speaking of things that are in excess, uh, it's time to break for a brief commercial. We'll be right back on What Mad Universe. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Some call it corn, we call it therapy. We're adults with the virility of men. Want to hear us read snack food copy and talk about Japanese chips? Too bad! Join us every month or so on the Greenlight Podcast Network. Hey folks, it's Asif Khan, CEO and Editor-in-Chief over at ShackNews.com. Give a listen to our 9 to 5 Elon podcast about Tesla and electric vehicles and all sorts of cool stuff over there on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Well, but it is interesting that, um, uh, you know, this version, Powers of Darkness, right as it, before it hits the fast forward button through everything, um, it's really starting to get interesting because they basically imply Dracula's plan is to take over the world. Um, yeah. That, and that's really, and that actually gives him more motivation to come to London than in, than in the Stoker version. Um, yeah, um, I always, um, I always interpreted uh, the, the original novel uh, as Dracula likes the idea of London because it's, it's a, a new place, like it's a modern city, but it's also got uh, old things in it, so he can he can still uh, go back to mm-hmm. to antiquity while he can uh, going out and enjoying the nightlife or whatever. Um, <laughs> Although he doesn't seem like a guy, I don't know. I mean, li- he's literally been shut up in this castle for hundreds of years in the middle of nowhere. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I- but he wants he wants to experience new things, but he still wants to have the uh, option of the comfort of yeah. Of uh, antiquity, which is what he's used to. Yeah, the, um, the dr- so that's why London would appeal to him. The, yeah, um, the implication in Dracula is that because he he has Harker early on sort of stumble across a room full of like English books and English facts and 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 w- what I understand to be like tour guides and periodicals and stuff about London. So it's kind of like well, Dracula's been living out in the castle in the middle of nowhere. Uh, which makes sense to me. That that makes sense as a vampire. You just you want to be you 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 don't have a an existence essentially a human existence. You basically you know you haunt lonely moors and that's all you care about and that's all you need. But they do very strongly imply that because now that there's publications and periodicals starting to trickle into Transylvania, <laughs> he gets a hold of this stuff and starts reading about it and starts getting actually really interested in it and wants to go to London. Okay, that. That's interesting. I, I hadn't uh, I didn't thought of that as like a yeah. It, I just yeah, thought he, he sort of um, was attracted by the um, the idea of uh, novelty while also right. having well. You have to ask why. Like why is why is yeah. it now after hundreds of years he suddenly wants to move to London? And it's yeah that that does make sense actually. Right. That, but but as you but it's a good reading. But yeah, going back to to powers of darkness. Uh, just the idea that. Yeah, he's been literally communicating with world leaders and important people and sort of implying a sinister conspiracy, in fact, <laughs> that they're all going to... More than imply it, it outright has it. Like, in, even in the, the lo- truncated London parts, he's he's having wild parties at Carfax with um, with all these um, well-known people. Mm, yeah. Um, including uh, counts and barons and things. And um, in the... Um, 
even in the Transylvanian section, uh, he talks highly of anarchists. Not that he agrees with them, but that they're useful to his aim. So he's, yeah, they, he seems to be working with uh, with anarchists, but sort of using them, um, but not for his own purposes. But he doesn't like social. He liked well, no, he liked he liked specifically that there was this one riot caused by anarchists, and it's obviously like, oh yes, I like chaos, and I like. Things yeah. being killed, and he clearly doesn't like socialists. He again, he explicitly says this. Uh, again, yeah, yeah, it um, becomes no. I meant, uh, I meant he was sort of. He seemed to be working with uh, terrorists of all kinds right. of different political backgrounds, and that he was um, uh, planned to betray them or, or something along those lines. Yeah, it, it, it's um, for his own purposes. Again, as with when we talked about uh, Angel of the Revolution, it is always funny how much that kind of explicit political stuff and socialism and anarchism and terrorism would actually come and revolutionary thought would come up in just a pulp novel. Like you could just drop it in there and people would be like nodding their heads. <laughs> and in this version, and of course this isn't in the final Dracula, but you can, apparently it was okay to publish in 1901 and put it in powers of darkness. Um, but it, it is. And of course, Dracula is against, you know, he hates the popu populism. He thinks there's, you know, yeah, people who are I, I don't think he's a, a fascist per se. Uh, he's more like just a classic feudalist. Yeah, well, he, you know, he talks a lot about his bloodlines and how important and powerful yeah. he is back in, you know, as, you know, he, and, and yeah, it's it's the, the I have, I'm better than other people, I have the right to rule, even if he wasn't a vampire, you know, it's that, and, of, and yeah. being a vampire is part of it as well. But it is actually really interesting how much uh, stuff, you know, that we would think of as maybe getting, it's as we said. It's implicit in Dracula, uh, the sexualization, the you know the the sort of uh, cruelty of a of a powerful uh, monarch. Because in in Dracula, Dracula's bad, obviously, uh, but he's much subtler in Dracula about um, Harker's reaction to to Dracula and slowly realizing this guy is basically toying with him and. And keeping him locked up, but he's you know Dracula doesn't sort of pull the mask off at any point until Harker's just locked up. Uh, but in Powers of Darkness, Dracula is a huge sleazebag. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, there, there's a quote I'm going to read where he's describing a portrait of uh, one of his relatives. Mm -hmm. uh, These breasts, which poets would compare to alabaster, your language has no words to express it. You poor bloodless people, neither snow nor alabaster. And that skin, firm and soft, firm and soft as down, feathers to the touch, and that unrivaled physique. Um, I looked at him and saw that his mask had now fallen. In that moment, I realized that he was an old libertine. And these lips, he said, pursing, pursing his own a little, as if he were swallowing up the painting. Then he shared uh, more pic. Yeah. Um, right. Basically, yeah. Uh, he's like. He's horny, like this yeah. guy. <laughs> he's and he shocks um, Harker, but like Harker's like, oh, yeah. well, this is inappropriate. Of a, and he especially doesn't. Yeah, and a lot of the subtext in original Drac in the original uh, English version of Dracula is, you know, a rape metaphor. The Dracula is coming to seduce our women and turn them right. livacious, but it's explicit here. Yeah, and as you say, it's the fact that he throws parties at Carfax Abbey, which is like it's the degenerate, you know, eyes wide shut kind of thing going on. Uh, like that's, <laughs> you know, again, that's something. You associate with vampire stories later, but not necessarily Dracula specifically. But here it is yeah, in a version of um, Dracula. <laughs> like, I mean, it yeah, it appears in later versions of Dracula. The idea of Dracula as a socialite right. uh, 
it's in the 1931 version. He goes to the opera as a, as a sophisticated well, gentleman and all that. But I'm not talking about um, like that. The, that I'm talking about like oh the debauchery that the the powerful oh, people yeah, yeah. get up to in their secret dungeon of the vampire. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's a thing in the uh, in the Coppola version. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, uh, but the idea of Dracula as a socialite as well is is interesting because that's not in the original novel really. Like he doesn't like he's shown sort of going about in public but we don't really see what he gets up to mm-hmm. um like we see him a couple times in um like harker spots him and says it's the same man but younger mm. um and he was sort of in a park just sort of seem seeming to to look at women um but uh here he has like full-on aliases he has um uh he goes by the name baron uh Sekely. yeah um and uh yeah, it, it's he, he. He also meets um, the uh, in this book. It's uh, Wilma and Lucia instead of Mina and Lucy. But uh, he actually meets them before all this stuff goes down. Uh, very early on, we don't really we're not really privy to their conversation because again, it's a, basically a sketch. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, he. he he sort of has a conversation with them, right. uh, we're told. Which is kind of wo- woven back into, if I recall correctly, the Francis Ford Coppola version has him... Yeah, of- it's in a lot of... Yeah, it's it's in a lot of uh, lot of later versions, uh, including the 1931 one, where he uh, he meets... Like I said, he goes to the opera and he's, you know, um, wears a top hat and all that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just the fact um, that he meets it, Mina and kind of engages with her yeah. before everything and of course in some versions he literally comes to london uh, a lot of movie versions make that the motivation for dracula uh to yeah come to apparently london. that was an yeah that was that was big in the coppola movie though it didn't originate there apparently coppola wanted to adapt a specific like uh version of like another author's version of dracula but couldn't get the rights so he just sort of reworked the original novel into his own that's what i heard anyway well i but i mean even nosferatu um, has him seeing the locket of uh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. And but the the idea of like uh, Mina as like his resurrected, right. you know, lost love and all that. Right, right. I, I'm I've never a fan of Dracula as a romantic hero. Uh, um, that that's sort of my biggest problem with the Coppola version. Mm. I just I, it doesn't jive with my uh, uh, understanding of the character, and it's distracts detracts from him in some ways in my mind but, i mean uh, it's it's it, um, it's one take i mean it's it's like it's a take yeah like it's definitely a thing that's been done and it's definitely a um it's definitely a on interpretation just not my interpretation right yeah i mean that's fu- yeah it's it, it i mean that was i can't remember if like when uh friends when uh bram St- when friends for Coppola's version came out was ann rice already big at that point she was she'd already broken through she, right yeah she was around in the 70s right i don't even know i've never read any of her stuff I, 80s i think you're right okay but but so the whole sort of dra- vampires are very romantic and sexy was starting oh to yeah begin. yeah that, that and i mean that that's to be fair that's always been a thing in vampire literature because the original the original english vampire character was based on byron so right but yeah also um uh carmilla um right is uh, often interpreted as a love story, though. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and there, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of romantic vampires. Like even Varney the vampire tries to be romantic. <laughs> he's just really uh, hideous and doesn't get through very well. But hey, uh, Phil, do you do you enjoy Varney? For... Do you enjoy Varney the vampire, Phil? 
I do not. Uh, but no, but like there's large sections of that book where his motivation is trying to get married uh, for some reason. Um, like trying to trick women into marrying him and they, they always discover these he's a vampire at the last minute. And Who amongst us yeah. really has not had that problem? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, the, the romantic thing. I mean, that's a, that's an, in, that, that is a take. And I, I think it's the, I think this is what we were talking about earlier. I think people struggle with motivation for Dracula to come to, uh, to come to London. Yeah, and that's what um, their solution is. But yeah, I just think it, it humanizes him too much, and I mm. think he's more interesting as, like, a sociopath yeah. sort of thing. Well, that's why this is like so he's... interesting, because it really is like, well, I think I'm going to take over the world now. <laughs> like, that's really what he's yeah. doing. And it's and the thing about a vampire is that it is explicitly, and Dracula maybe even in specific, is that um, it's a metaphor for, or it, it's very frequently used as a metaphor for, uh, you know, the upper class, both in their debauchery and the fact that they're, you know, parasitic in that they're, you know, you don't even have to be explicitly like a, a socialist kind of person to go, well, you know, there's a creepy Lord up on the manor and he, you know, he, he takes all of our, <laughs> he, we have to keep tithing to him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's always been sort of the, the general, I remember, remember a few years back, there was the giant raging debate of vampires versus zombies and how vampires were usually held to be upper class and like the vampires were kind of the, uh, there, there was a whole argument over whether vampires were a left-wing or a right-wing vision of the rich elites, because it kind of works either way, right? Uh, I think it really depends on the take. I mean, with it, it's too broad a thing to say if it's one or the right. other. But, but, but the idea is just rich libertines who suck the life out of you. I mean, obviously, you don't have to, you don't have to delve too deep into that. Yeah. And Dracula um, touches on it. I mean, it's there. Clear. Again, like, like everything, it's... It's subtext, but it's very clear subtext. But this makes it pretty overt. Like it, he, he is yeah. definitely a guy who wants to, you know, crush the the thrones of Earth beneath his feet in this one. And uh, the other thing is, he's really sadistic in this version in a way that I don't feel like he was in the Stoker version. Um, I, I think there's hints of it in the Stoker version. One of the uh, things that stuck out to me was when he beats Renfield to death. Like, not drinks his blood. He like just beats him to death. <laughs> And that, that struck me as kind of, yeah. um, like, yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's, it's bad to beat somebody to death, but the fact that, uh, he doesn't even do it in a vampire way, it just sort of you know, right. kills this guy. Well, this is the guy uh, who wanted to who, be turned into a vampire so bad and doesn't get it. It's yeah, like, but it, it betrays him a little bit and, yeah. and Dracula just sort of beats him up and kills him. Mm -hmm. Um, and that struck me as pretty sadistic and that sort of informed a lot of my takes on writing the character when I did, yeah. um, but it's very explicit here. Yeah, he's a lot more uh, well. He's uh, it, openly sadistic. He's cruel with Harker in this. It, they they really play. And as we say, I mean, this does make you. If this is a first draft of Dracula, it does make you appreciate how much Stoker made it very subtle. And it's still ver very much there in Dracula as we know it. But here, it's like again, it's he's a leering, you know, sexual creepazoid, and he likes the idea of like pretending to be nice but making things worse ratcheting it up the tension on harker yeah, yeah like he's sort of he's i don't know if gaslighting is quite the right word but he's sort of doing that like he's he's pretending to be nice but also really letting his his bad side out quite frequently and it seems intentionally at points right uh just to just to mess with yeah, him. Yeah, Harker keeps writing about like oh he was very polite in his speech but i could see he was like being sarcastic and 
mocking me behind his smile and that kind of thing. And and of course he keeps saying, well, you can. Well, he keeps insisting more and more. Like he, uh, I can't remember exactly what plays on the Stoker version, but he he you know he kind of gets trapped slowly. Uh, and Har- yeah, yeah, that, that's that's in the original, but it, it's longer here because the, well, Dracula just this section is longer. The way it works in the original, if I recall correctly, is Dracula just kind of eventually just he makes him write letters that would you know make it seem like he's left and that everything's okay, and then just kind of abandons him and like keeps him locked yeah. up. Whereas in this version, it's like he liberal he literally keeps getting his hopes up of like well, first he keeps saying you will stay for another month now, you will not you will not brook any you know, disagreement. And then he keeps kind of saying, well, you can leave tomorrow. And then suddenly he locks the door on him and, oh, I accidentally locked the door. Oops. Like he, he's playing games with him in a much stronger way in this version than in the Stoker version. Um, and it actually, it's pretty effective. It, it, it'll give you some anxiety, this version as you're, you're reading it and you want to, you want Harker to escape. And he keeps going, well, maybe tomorrow I'll get out. Nope. Although he does, at one point, he, quote, oversleeps, which is what causes him to miss the coach. And I'm not sure that's actually Dracula's fault, although maybe Dracula hypnotized him into falling asleep, I don't know. Um, but they, th- there's the one moment where Dracula's saying, yeah, yeah, you can leave tomorrow and I'll get my coach and everything will be fine. And then when Harker wakes up, he's overslept, the coach is left, and he's basically locked in the castle. Um, I'm not sure 100% that was Dracula's fault, but probably. He probably did something to make it happen. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's a part that uh, that amused me a lot in in this version. Um, uh, um, Thomas Harker is talking about uh, the the London fog and how it's bad. Um, that that was the. It's not a. As people know, it's not a real fog. It was from the factories. Yeah, it's a smog. Um, well, it's smog. It was a combination of smoke and yeah. fog. It is. Fo- it is really foggy yeah. in London for real. But that's yeah. There was so much industrialist fog at the time that it was yeah. Um, but uh, he was saying, you know, uh, crimes can be committed that wouldn't otherwise because there's all this, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can hide. You can hide in the fog. And the the count says, um, um, yes. The count said, breathless with excitement, while fire seemed to spark from his eyes. Yes, these crimes, these horrible murders, these slaughtered women found in sacks drifting in the Thames, this blood that runs, runs and flows, with no killer to be found. Um, Yes, it is a. Uh, I'll skip some. Uh, yes, it is a tragedy. He said, and these murders will never be solved ever. Your writer Conan Doyle has written many good books about London, and I read your newspapers. According to them, barely two or three percent of all homicide cases are solved. <laughs> yes, London is indeed a remarkable city. Yeah, um, <laughs> I gotta love the busting out the stats there. <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah, and that's also the point where I. And, think... and then Harker says, um, uh, "Then perhaps my good fellow, it would be best if you stayed." Um, in police custody once you're there, I thought to myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think funny. that's the point where um, you <laughs> you run. That's a pretty big red flag right there. Yeah, the guys. like a guy's talking about how, how he wants to go to a place because it's really easy to get away with murder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think at that point, I mean, it's too late for him at that point, but, you know, Harker, it comes off as a bit of a moron in <laughs> this one that he doesn't see what how, I mean, he's he's got a lot of unease, but, you know, he yeah, well, he doesn't really have a choice in leaving, yeah. to be fair. But but he is, like, he keeps, for a very long time, he keeps rationalizing it to a degree. Yeah, he seems to, he but, seems to go I back mean, and forth between, I gotta escape, and, oh, maybe things are okay. Dracula's kind of nice. You know, like, he keeps going back and forth. And even after, like, yeah, weird... Yeah, I, I think even uh, 
even if I didn't believe in all the supernatural stuff, uh, like, you know, this guy's clearly nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's clearly not a good person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's much more, like, <laughs> not you see you see the, 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 the sort of positive side of it in the Stoker version more, because he, you know, he talks about, oh, he's incredibly hospitable, he's a really great conversationalist, he makes these wonderful feasts for him, uh, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this is fun, I'm having a, a Transylvanian vacation, basically. <laughs> so you can see being seduced by it, in that sense, uh, a little more than you can in uh, in this version, it's kind of, things get creepy very Yeah, fast. where he keeps going masks off, he, it seems, every other scene. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, can we talk about the Beast Men? In this version. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Dracula has a cult of subhuman vampires. <laughs> yes, uh, he does. Which he performs uh, uh, satanic-like rituals while wearing a scarlet robe. Um, yeah. Like blood sacrifice. Yeah, uh, that's not a thing in the original novel. Nope. Uh, and uh, it is here that... I don't know, it's interesting. Like, it's... Uh, again, it fits the take I did where he's sort of... Lord of Vampires, well, although that's been done before in Marvel and stuff, but uh, still, yeah, I mean, he does have the, in the original novel, he has the, the so-called Brides of Dracula, um, or the Weird Sisters, whatever you want to call them, but um, the idea of him having, like, a whole cult of vampires who worship him is, is yeah. interesting. Well, and also, it's, as I was saying, it's like, this is something you would expect to find in, like, post-sexual revolution vampire fiction where there are just completely like i said the eyes wide shut thing this is this is eyes wide shut happening in a novel that was published in 1901 uh it's pretty it, it, like you're like okay that and again this is this was obscure like people didn't know this novel unless you were from iceland people didn't yeah, and, know uh, I, I should be clear people from iceland thought that this was just dracula they didn't know right that there was another version of this um i believe when um when the 1931 movie came out, they they advertised it as uh, based on the novel Powers of Darkness. You know? Right, exactly. Um, it's, yeah, of course, so, you would have to speak both English and Icelandic. Icelandic, and yeah. Want, and be into Dracula. To, uh, that's, it's not surprising it took them so long to realize that they had made so many changes. Um, speaking of yeah. other countries and stuff, you so you read the Turkish version of Dracula as well. Oh, uh, just one second. I wanted yeah. to get into... Um, uh, Dracula having servants. In this one, he also has um, a uh, mute and deaf uh, servant, mm -hmm. uh, a woman. Right. Uh, she's not explained whatsoever. Uh, like I said, she seemed to be in the original notes that Stoker had. Um, and that it was apparently a common thing in Victorian Gothic literature to have, to have that. Yeah, mute. It's like a stock character type. Yeah, cause it's, well, it's because they needed servants because they're lords. But, you know, they yeah. couldn't, if it wouldn't be as creepy if there was a castle full of servants, right? So, yeah. And, and, and in Stoker, these, he's more or less explicit that Dracula has zero servants. It's just, or if he does. Yeah, he, he's his own coach. He disguises himself as his own coachman. He uh, clearly gets all the food together and all right. that. Um, and there's actually a bit in the movie um, uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which is about a fictionalized version of the making of Nosferatu. Um, where Max Shrek is an actual vampire who's playing a person playing a vampire. Right. Um, and there's a bit uh, in the movie that I was I thought was really interesting where um, Max Shrek is uh, asked about Dracula and he says it's really sad. He didn't have any servants. He's just pretending he does. <laughs> and it makes the whole thing really melancholy that he's just sort of like he has to remember what it was like to eat and just sort of, you know, yeah, uh, put himself in that headspace to make food. You know, it's it's really 
strange. Yeah, I that's that's a good take. To me, that's a good take on vampires. I I kind of agree with what you're saying. Not so much the romantic aspect, but the fact that uh, like vampires are not human and they've for, kind of forgotten what it's like to be human. Like the, I yeah. like the idea that they are just monsters who live out. I mean, they're literally dead people, right? Who only happen to be still moving around and drinking blood, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're happy to live out in ruins. That's why it's so weird in this where he suddenly wants to take over the world, which again is not out of sync with <laughs> what a vampire would probably want, but it, it mm-hmm. you sort of see the two sides of that, right? And most of the time he's happy to yeah. just secrete himself away miles from anywhere and and uh and yeah and uh in this one he also has uh romani followers human followers um well he has those in the original in stoker too uh they're they're mentioned but they're more more of a thing in this in in stoker it's kind of implied that he needs someone to move his coffins around so he needs some laborers so he hires some quote gypsies sorry about sorry about the slur um and uh and it's kind of i think kind of implied that because they were wandering people they didn't know all the bad stuff about castle dracula so he could get them to do that or maybe he was you know it's just going with the standard victorian anti roma prejudice uh in this in powers of darkness weirdly enough they're changed to tatars which they claim is the same thing but it's not obviously um and uh yeah they're more like uh, subservient to him as a specific lord right um uh and uh that's that's a thing in um in the Coppola movie as well. The Coppola version goes into the um, uh, uh, the, the history a bit more, and it's it, again, it's there even in the Stoker, like the original version. But yeah, you kind of see how, like, it's the sort of I have ancient alliances in this part of the world that let me, you know, have yeah. some call in these but people. But it's interesting. There's a lot of, I mean, there's not a movie of this particular version of Dracula, but it's it's interesting because that's sort of the closest thing there is in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know, just like little superficial things, like Dracula wearing a scarlet robe, right. which he does in the in the blood ritual in this one. Right. Um, he wears black most of the time, but uh, in that scene he wears red, and that's in the original novel he's only ever described as wearing black, except for one point where he's wearing a straw hat. That the, narr- the narration said doesn't suit him at all. <laughs> yeah, you think? Um, <laughs> yeah, but otherwise it's he's just, always It's my witch skin his- hat. But yeah, like like I say, it's just weird how many things feel like they're taken from this in later versions. And again, nobody had heard of this book. Well, again, nobody yep. non-Icelandic had heard of this book. And- yeah, it's just a bunch of weird coincidences. Yeah. Um, also, uh, on Dracula's origin, and we'll get into this in, in Turkish Dracula in a bit, um, it's sort of, uh, hinted at here, um, sort of a, um, in the original book, it describes him as, um, uh, going to the Scalamance, which was a real, um, Romanian legend, uh, sort of a school of the devil sort of thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, in this one, it doesn't mention that, but it does have, um, uh, a weird backstory with, um, with a count and a, uh, and his wife, uh, who cheats on him. Right. And Dracula in the present says that uh, she was right to, and he was wrong to uh, care about it, um, because um, that's for lesser people. Right. Uh, fidelity and whatnot is for lesser people, and uh, so he lo- he locks her in the tower with uh, in-, in the castle with her lover, and uh, she eventually uh, gets sick of him, sick of her lover, and, and throws him out the window. Mm. Um, and that's sort of implied that that's Dracula while he was alive. So that that's interesting. 
Yeah, there's a few. And the, and the woman is um is also implied to be the um uh, in this one there's only one bride of Dracula so called. Right. Um, yeah, she's in the original novel. Of course, there's three, but in this one there's there's one uh, woman who seems to be his cousin or niece or some sort of relative um, who's also a vampire, and she has a bigger part in this. Yeah. Uh, she uh, is more seductive towards uh, uh, Thomas Harker. Um, I, I mean, obviously, Jonathan Harker gets seduced, but he's also clearly repulsed by the three sisters. Yeah. And here he's, uh, he keeps coming back to her. So yeah. it's it's an interesting... Um, he's a little more... Um, uh, yeah, the brides of... Not responsible. What's... Yeah. The brides of Dracula he's a little more into it here. come at him when he's already... You know, trapped in the castle, right? Whereas with yeah. with in this one, it's kind of like, well, I'm and and this almost explains why he he sticks around at a point where he possibly could have taken off. Uh, but the the like this that that does sort of explain why he might be uh, actually sort of liking it in Castle Dracula is because this woman has got her under his under her spell, got him under her spell. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but she can actually uh, bite him because he's wearing the crucifix. Right. Yeah. He's um, he's pretty. Which um, th- this is an aside because it's it's also discussed in this version that um, English people wouldn't be wearing crucifixes normally. Mm. Um, he's given to that. He's given that by a Romanian peasants. Right. Um, well, the, and I he, mean, he just sort of English Protestants to be clear. Are, English yeah. Protestants, which he is, yeah. and he says he, he considers it basically idolatry mm-hmm. uh, to wear a crucifix. Um, but he he becomes it sort of becomes a good luck charm for him, of and course. it obviously helps because in this book, um, in Dracula, Catholic imagery specifically seems to hurt him. Yeah, um, including uh, host host wafers and that sort of thing, right. and holy water and all that. Yeah, um, I do wonder um, if it just. I think a cross generally probably would have hurt him, but he just, as you say, I think it probably wasn't the style at the time to wear even a non-crucifix cross around your your neck, <laughs> and it was. Yeah, a, I, I always interpret it as um, with Dracula that it's specifically a crucifix, not a cross, because he's you know it's a lowercase letter T. Right. That you know it's specifically an image of Jesus. So. Um, yeah, but it's. Th- I don't know. That that's my take. It's not. It's not spelled out. Right. Well, I, I think it, it, but I think it's also that Lutherans of the time were kind of they were the more they were the sensible, rational men of the future kind of, and and Anglicans as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I think they were. I think they were kind of they looked down their nose at the Catholic as being a bit more superstitious, and it's the superstitious yeah, yeah. aspect of it. But I think I don't. I, I, I of course, without getting into a lot of theology, I think <laughs> I think you could argue that uh, just just the cross without a crucifix is still effective. It's just that this particular attitude is, you know, not not so much Protestant Catholic as, well, I'm a modern man versus a superstitious yeah. old, you know, crazy guy. Um, yeah, and it, it did annoy me in a lot, it does annoy me in a lot of versions to have, you know, like an English upper-class gentleman just going around with a crucifix without explanation for how he got it, because that's not really a thing he probably did. Right, right. Yeah. I, I'm, there were Catholic upper class people, but like it's it wasn't typical. Well, not, it's not in character for Harker for sure. Yeah, even if yeah, he, yeah, exactly. And, and I'm once again, I recently uh, rewatched the Coppola version, so that's on my mind. But uh, everybody seems to be wearing a crucifix in that movie when they really shouldn't. Yeah, right. From their you know place and status and it all that. It was olden times. Like, Everyone had crucifixes. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, Powers of Darkness, an interesting book that is sort of Dracula and sort of not Dracula. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, definitely interested. Like, if you're interested in Dracula, this is definitely um, like I think you should have read Dracula first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or no. Yeah, Dracula. I think. Yeah, no Dracula or be familiar with it. This probably isn't a, a good introduction to Dracula, but it's definitely like it's fascinating. It's yeah. just it's a really interesting mystery. Like I say, I wish it, I things. wish it had been sort of polished and finished to a degree that it wasn't because getting into this whole well Dracula's planning to take over the world is a really interesting thread that gets completely yeah. abandoned because they suddenly have to wrap it all up in like 20 pages so yeah oh yeah and also uh, Dracula's killed in London in this version mm. which is similar to a lot of the movie versions but uh, there's no like escape to uh, back to Transylvania um, right yeah it, it's very hasty um, mm-hmm. And I, I wish, like you said, it was polished a bit more in the second half, in the second section. Right. The hour grows late, my children, and the sun sinks below the Carpathians. We bid you adieu from Philip Rice, defender of Galatia against the godless Turk, and Adam Prosser, the mysterious new owner of Carfax Abbey. Thanks, as always, to, the produ- to producer and engineer Alex Ross, who will be working his way up from spiders to birds any day now and Jack Birick, who, like the children of the night, makes some sweet music. Uh, if you want to help What Mad Universe afford the upkeep on our mountain castle, you can donate to one or both of our Patreons. Uh, the links are below, or if you're listening to us via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like, you can check them out at Network slash series slash what-mad-universe, or just go to Patreon and search Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2Ss. Subscribers get to listen to our show early, and also access to comics, illustrations, writings, and books of lore. Uh, You can also find links on our website to our Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter feeds. But again, you can search for us there or at our Twitter feed of WMU Podcast. We'd love to hear from you with questions, comments, or suggestions for books to look at for this podcast. And in particular, if you like the show, please leave a review for us at iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, So close the shutters against Aaron Fats. String garlic across the lintel and sleep easily with a crucifix around your neck. We'll see you again when we rise to hover outside your bedroom window. We hope you'll join us.